Thank you very much, and good morning, everyone. This is Preacher Bill Gilliland at First Christian Church right here in Covington, and it's a joy for us to bring you the message of the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ on this radio broadcast. We're thankful that you have joined us today, and I hope that the scriptures that we go over and the points that we make will honor the Lord Jesus and bring glory to our God and also motivate each of us uh, as we strive to live for Jesus. You know, uh, we are living uh, in an age where transitioning and identifying have gone beyond the understandable and definable terms. You know, just because you desire to identify as something doesn't mean that you can be or that you are that something. I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing this message. And, you know, when I was younger, I would have loved to have identified as a Pittsburgh Steeler because I loved that team. And uh, the idea of playing professional football was just something that uh, I would have loved to do. But I didn't grow more and I didn't become stronger or taller. And now I've gotten older. So in my older years, I've thought to myself, I think I'd like to identify as a professional golfer. Uh, they get a lot of TV uh, uh, status, you know, and I'm sure they make a lot of money, especially if they win. So maybe I'll just identify as a professional golfer. The problem is I, I don't play golf. I've never uh, played golf except for a few times that I gave it a try. And I certainly wasn't a success in those attempts. Um, so we can't just identify as something and make it happen. You know, what's really important is where or with whom we find our identity. And that's where we're going to go in the message this morning because Christians find their identity in Christ. We find our identity in Christ. Christ makes me a somebody. <clears throat> Christ gives me identity and significance. And uh, there are so many of these in Christ passages in the New Testament, we couldn't possibly cover them all. But for just a few minutes, we're going to review some of them. <clears throat> and I'm going to begin with a scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, if you'd like to turn there. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, and of course, the Apostle Paul has just talked about the idea that we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, in verses 12 and 13, he, he says to these Ephesian Christians, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let's take his reasoning here. He says, remember back long ago, you didn't have a prayer, you didn't have a chance. But now, uh, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once a long ways away, you, you're close. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, we often hear these statements about that was then, this is now. And that's exactly the kind of statement that Paul is making there. That was then. You didn't have a prayer. 
This is now. We identify, we get our identity from the Lord Jesus. It's so important that we know who we are as Christians. Uh, In Christ, we are so much more than we could ever hope to be on our own. So let's consider who I am as a believer in Jesus Christ. First of all, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. You're a new creation. And we're going to uh, read that popular verse in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, where Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Some translations say, uh, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. And uh, that's exactly right. And the word new there, of course, kainos, it means as to form or quality or nature. Uh, By nature, we're new when we are in Christ Jesus. And that's so important. It it is Christ that makes us new. We have this newness of life when we accept Christ by faith and he saves us by his grace, undeserved and unmerited favor. I read the story about one of Adolf Hitler's bodyguards back in the days of World War II and the Holocaust. Uh, this, this bodyguard's name was Kurt Wagner. And he adored Hitler, and he reverenced him even as a god. At, at the end of the war, of course, with Hitler a suicide in a Berlin bunker, uh, Kurt's faith was shattered, and he even planned a suicide. Going for a final cup of coffee, though, he picked up a discarded gospel track and read it. He read it first carelessly, and then he read it with interest. And as a result of what he read, he sought out a minister who led him to Christ. You see, Kurt Wagner was transformed from a hardened man into a peace-loving man. He became a new creation in Christ. And that's what we all become when we accept Jesus. Um, Christ must make us new. And then when we've become new, then we must assist the Lord in keeping us new. Uh, He doesn't do it all by himself. He expects us to to remain new. Uh, Listen to Paul's words uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, Paul says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its seedful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's up to us on a daily basis. To, to put off the old self because, you know, even when we're saved, we don't get rid of that old nature. Satan continues to work on us. And so there's this constant daily process of taking off the old and putting on the new uh, that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're new creations. Here's number two. Uh, as a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, we're, a, we're a child of God. We are children of God. In 1 John chapter 3 
And verse 1, I've always loved this verse. John says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. So John says, you know, God loves us so much. He has just thrown all of this love, and he wants us to be called children of God. And the reason he wants us to be called that is because that's exactly what we are. That's how God sees us. We're his children because we're in Christ. Now, we know we're born of God. Uh, in John's gospel, in the first chapter, in what we might call the prologue or the introduction of this wonderful gospel of John, in verses 12 and 13, John says, uh, he, he has said in the previous verse that Jesus came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. And now in verse 12, he continues, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Isn't that wonderful? When we are born of God, we become his children. We are his children. And he loves us so much. And he guides us. He provides for us. He protects us. Uh, he spoils us. He forgives us. We're, we're his children. He loves us with a fatherly love. And sometimes he disciplines us, doesn't he? Uh, you know, over in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, uh, the Hebrew writer gets into that a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in this discipline process, in verse 7 of Hebrews 12, uh, the Hebrew writer says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if we think back, we remember some of the discipline we got from our parents. And we didn't like it then, but now we realize it was, it was so valuable for us. And they did it because they loved us. Isn't it wonderful to be a child of God? And we can identify as God's children. Let's look at another thing here. Um, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and since we are children of God, we know we're also heirs to his kingdom. We have an inheritance. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 8, 16 and 17, where Paul writes and says, The Spirit himself testifies that our, with our spirit that we're God's children. There you go. Now, he says in verse 17, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we, this is just an extension of the child idea. Since we are God's children and we're believers in Christ, we have an inheritance. We are heirs of God and joint heirs or co-heirs with Christ. Now let me supplement that with what Peter says in 1 Peter 1. Verses 3 and 4, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Uh, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 
And that word kept is, is a, a very strong word. It, it means to be reserved, to held, be, be held in safekeeping. So, you know, nobody's going to get that inheritance because it's there for you. And my inheritance, inheritance is there for me. Uh, you know, you, you, may be, you may have said at some time or another that you're spending your children's inheritance. Maybe you bought a motor home and you traveled the country and you, you saw people and, and you say, oh, I'm spending my children's inheritance. But your Heavenly Father, dear friend, if you're in Christ, he's keeping your inheritance safe. It won't perish, spoil, fade. It won't, it won't be stolen. When, when you leave this world and go to the next, that inheritance is going to be there for you. And since it's such a great inheritance, then we need to keep it in safekeeping. Uh, we, we, need, we need to work as hard as we can to please our Heavenly Father who is going to give us that inheritance. Well, let's move on to some other idea here. You know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, you are a temple of God's dwelling. You're, you're a temple of God's dwelling. And that there's a wonderful statement in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, where Paul says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Um, so now we're not only talking about being in Christ, we're talking about God being in us. And let's supplement uh, later in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So he uses this word temple in both of those scriptures. And, and this, this word in the Greek that's translated temple, it means a shrine or a sanctuary. It's a sacred place. It's a place where God dwells. It's a place where his Holy Spirit dwells. And, and Paul writes here and says, don't you know that the Spirit lives within you? And therefore, uh, your body your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, the body, we know from other scriptures that the body is a tent or a tabernacle. Uh, now, that Greek word points to something that's portable, temporary. We know that these bodies that we live in uh, are one day going to wear out, wear down, and, 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 and die and disappear. Uh, that's, that's the body. That's the tent that we live in. But the body is a tent that houses the real us, the real you. The real you lives within this body. And a temple that houses God, that houses his Holy Spirit, is within you. So the real you is inside the body, and within the real you is the Spirit of Christ. And so Paul writes and says, we need to take care of these portable houses this tent, because it actually is a temple. It's a sacred place because the Holy Spirit's living there. Now, we don't have time to go into all the reasons why we need to take care of these bodies of ours, but I can't emphasize these two scriptures about the body enough because, you know, the real us lives within this portable temporary tent, and when, when that tent 
is destroyed. Uh, <clears throat> Paul says in Second Corinthians five one, we have a we have a house, a, a permanent house, not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. But in the meantime, we're down here, and and the Holy Spirit lives within us, and we live within this tent. So we we need to glorify God. We need to take care of these bodies just as much as we can. Uh, uh, let that be a lesson for all of us today. Well, let's move on to uh, another idea, and that is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. Uh, if you're in Christ, then your citizenship is actually in heaven. Paul says that in, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, I guess you could say that we who live here in the United States of America, we have a dual citizenship, don't we? Our, our main citizenship is in heaven, but we also are citizens of this great land, uh, the, the old USA. And I'm, I'm proud to be an American. But my friend, we need to be even more proud to be a citizen of heaven. And uh, we're, we're representing heaven down here on earth as long as we live here. You know, the Holy Spirit identifies our heavenly citizenship in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul talks about that. And he says, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So you may have paperwork to prove that you're a United States citizen. You have a birth certificate that you were born in America that makes you an American citizen. But if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, that makes you a heavenly citizen. Uh, a guarantee also that you're going to receive this inheritance someday. So that, that should be a comfort to us. And while we're on this idea of <clears throat> citizenship in heaven, I, I, I will just remind us that the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first at the second coming. And this is another one of those in Christ statements when Jesus comes back again, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, he's going to come down with, from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, that's talking about people that have died and gone on to be with, with the Lord. And their bodies are buried. But when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a general resurrection of the dead. And the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up or raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So these, these, are, uh, these are wonderful statements that, uh, that can cause us to identify ourselves since we're in Christ. Uh, I, hope, I hope that you can say, yes, I am in Christ. I'm a child of the king. You know, the world would like to convince us that the person who is most successful in life is the one who has amassed the most things. And uh, that's not true. But in fact, I, I, I remember uh, seeing 
a bumper sticker years ago, and it said, he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, that's not true. And while that bumper sticker was just trying to be a little bit funny, it, it does sort of summarize our culture's view on life. Because we, we think, we often think, our, our culture that we live in thinks, the more, the more you, you are able to, to get, the happier and the more content you're going to be. But in the grand scheme of things, the things of this life won't matter in the least someday. So we need to make sure that we're identifying with Christ and that he is where our identity really is. Uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the Encyclopedia of Illustrations for uh, Ministers and Christian Workers includes <clears throat> the story or the illustration about the Roman Emperor Charlemagne, uh, who had an interesting story surrounding his burial. This, this famous king asked to be entombed, sitting upright on his throne. And he asked that his crown be placed on his head, and uh, his scepter in his hand, and he requested that the royal cape be draped around his shoulders, and an, an open book be placed in his lap. And that was in A.D. 814 when he died, and all that happened. And nearly 200 years later, Emperor Othello determined to see if the burial request of Charlemagne had really been carried out. And he allegedly sent a team of, of people to the open tomb to make a report. And uh, they found that the body, just as Charlemagne had requested, was there. <clears throat> Only now, nearly two centuries later, the scene was somewhat gruesome. The crown was tilted, the mantle moth-eaten, the body was disfigured. But open on the skeleton thighs was the book that Charlemagne had requested. It was the Bible. And one bony finger pointed to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, where Jesus said, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? And we have often heard the phrase, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So I want to ask you as we get ready to close uh, this, uh, this sermon, who or what is the source of your identity? Who is the source of your identity? If you want to identify with somebody, where do you get your identity? Is your significance in this life tied to what you own or is it tied to who owns you? And hopefully that's Jesus. And are you working hard for earthly status or, or are you living and working for your eternal inheritance which has been promised to each of us by the Lord? We need to really commit ourselves to this idea. Um, finding my identity is in Christ. I, I am a new creation. I am a child of God. And since I'm a believer in Christ and a child of God, I have an inheritance. I'm an heir to the kingdom of God. As a believer in the, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm a temple of God's dwelling and the Holy Spirit 
is within me. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am a citizen of heaven. And that's where my heart is. That's where my loyalty is. Can you say that today? It's so important. Uh, I hope that you can say today that Christ has made you a somebody. Now, we, we might be working hard to gain a degree or, or to gain a mate or, or to join a club, but, but none of that is going to make you the somebody that you want to be at the end of life. Only Christ can make you that kind of a somebody. Only Christ can give you the identity that will be significant and will make you significant no matter what happens no matter what you have to go through, the Lord wants you to be significant in him. If you're not a Christian today, would you give that some thought? I hope the Holy Spirit maybe is working on you through this message, through all these scriptures that we've covered. Give your life to the Lord. Make sure that you were found in Christ. Make sure that you find your identity in him. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for these moments that we can spend in your word about an all-important subject. You have gone out of your way. You have sacrificed to allow your Son to come into the world and to teach and to live and to die and then to be raised again. And we know, Lord, that one of these days he's coming back to judge this world. And when he comes back, He's going to, to bring all of his people, all of those that are in him, are going to live and reign with him for all eternity. So bless us today that we might commit ourselves and submit ourselves to that Jesus and in him find our true identity. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.